How many of you brought your Bible today? Hold your Bible up, make the devil mad. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Well, I have a very special message, and the title of the message is simply called Humility. And I want to start with a, a story. Uh, two monks were discussing humility. I've been praying and fasting and meditating and studying theology for 40 years. I've finally reached the height of spiritual maturity, which is humility. I can finally say, I am a nothing, said one monk with great satisfaction. The other monk nodded gravely. I too have spent my life devoted to serving God. In my pursuit of humility, I take a cold bath every day. I've read thousands of books and I eat nothing other than rice cakes and noodles. Not the rice cakes with the chocolate, just the plain ones. <laughs> I am also a nothing. At that moment, the janitor was passing, holding his mop. Overhearing the conversation and feeling quite spiritual in the moment you were interrupted. You know what? I pray and I sing to God as I mop. I also am a nothing. The monks looked away in disgust. Who the hell does he think he is to say he is a nothing? If English isn't your first language, you probably didn't get that. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny because we can all see a little of ourselves in those monks. Because we can all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And you know, contrary to much of the narcissistic uh, psychobabble that passes for sermons in many instances today, uh, the Bible does not encourage us to do this. Romans 12 and verse 3 uh, warns us about thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Amen. It says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. And so I, I really believe, you know, this message... Will, will speak to you today. If you have a heart to hear, don't sit there thinking, okay, the person next to me needs to hear this. You know, the paradox is this. You know, the moment we start to make progress spiritually, we can be tempted to be arrogant and proud of our accomplishments. You know, we can become proud of our humility. We can trust in our own righteousness, just like the Pharisees. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, it says, But knowledge puffs up while love builds up the new living. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. You know, there's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And so we must remind ourselves, you know, that we are sitting on the shoulders of spiritual giants. I was up early this morning just looking. I, I, you know, we're moving into our new house and I've finally unloaded all the books from my, I've so many books and I have them on my shelf. And I was just looking at all these books, so many of them that have blessed my life and that I've learned so much from over the last 30 years of my walk with God. And, and it just struck me how, you know, we are literally sitting on the shoulders of giants. 
Amen. And so we shouldn't take the attitude that, that we're somehow, uh, you know, this, this anointed man or woman that is coming up with all of these things. No, we're just simply taking what previous generations have, you know, labored for and, and suffered for and sacrificed for and sought God for and, and, and what some of these men took 40, 50 years to, to discover. Uh, you know, we have, you know, simply by virtue of, of, of reading a book or, or by hearing a message. And so, again, in view of this, there is no reason for us to be proud. Just grateful and humble, okay? Because, again, knowledge with love, uh, our, our humility is a very, you know, knowledge without love, uh, our humility is a very dangerous thing. And, and this is why, again, we, we, we encourage people uh, to, to go to Bible school. We've made it free. We want the bar as low as possible because we want to learn. But again, there has to be more than just simply knowledge. It has to be revelation knowledge, knowledge that we put into practice in our life. Amen. Because again, down through the years, I've seen people after a service, their first time, they make a beeline for me and they want to list their spiritual CV, so to speak. They've studied theology and they're good at this and they're good at that and they're good at the other. But again, uh, for me as a pastor, you know, I just look at somebody that's willing to serve and, and serve with humility without looking to see whether somebody is watching or whether they're going to get credit for what they're doing. Amen. And so again, humility is, is very, very important. Uh, because like I said, knowledge without humility is, is dangerous. Don't forget that the greatest persecution that Jesus experienced, ironically, was not from the secular authorities, but rather from religious people. People who prayed, people who knew the scriptures, people who worshipped God, people who lived outwardly godly lives, and yet they couldn't see beyond their religion to behold the Messiah who is right standing in front of them. So they had become proud, comfortable, and conceited, and we can fall into the very same trap. And so again, let me say this, this is a message that all of us need to hear. So don't sit there thinking, my wife, or my husband, or my friend, or my family, uh, or, or you know, my colleagues could really do with, with hearing this. No, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7 talks about how Nathan came and stood right in the face of the king and pointed his finger and said, Thou art the man. What he was simply doing was confronting David. David was getting all uh, riled up and angry because of a, a story of someone who had, you know, sacrificed somebody else's lamb, you know, and completely oblivious to the fact that he had just committed adultery with a man's wife and then had him murdered. And so sometimes we can, we can lose all sense of self-awareness. And so humility is so important. And this is why God had to send Nathan to, to you know, awaken David from his spiritual stupor. And so, again, let us heed the warning, uh, the many warnings that are in God's word with regards to humility. Because there are men and women who would still be married. People who would have remained faithful to their spouse. People who would still have a career, or a business, or a ministry, are people who might even still be alive today. People who might have lived, you know, long and, and fruitful and, and happy lives, if only they had humility. But they didn't, and therefore they lost it all. 
And you can, lose, you can end up losing it all simply because you do not have the humility. The humility to say, I was wrong. The humility to listen. The humility to grow and to learn. Amen. The, the, the humility to acknowledge where you have failed. Amen. I think this is very, very important. Humility to, to change. Humility to be part of a church, to, to grow spiritually, to serve, to be accountable. Like I said, to admit, I'm wrong. To, to be able to say to yourself, you know what? I don't know it all. Just say that to yourself. I don't know it all. That's helpful to acknowledge that. Amen. Humility to say, I'm sorry. How many of you know people that no matter what, if you put a gun to their head, they will not say, I'm sorry. They just don't have that ability. Well, that is rooted in pride. Humility to ask for help, to seek advice. How many of you know as, as men, we, we, we'll drive around happily for two hours without stopping to ask for advice? Okay, I know, I, I know Google Maps has kind of made that illustration a little defunct, but you know. <laughs> humility, how about, how about this? Humility to listen to your spouse. To listen to your wife, man. To allow God's spirit to lead. How many of you know sometimes your wife will speak to you and you might not want to hear what she's saying? But you know what? If you're humble enough, you'll recognize that's God speaking to you through her. Now sometimes it's the devil speaking to her. I'm just saying. <laughs> you need discernment. Some of you guys. You need discernment. Okay. So, but this is the problem. People who don't, Sadly, sometimes end up losing it all. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. You know, if you only simply Google the word pride, I, I was really surprised. I was, um, I was just Googling that word just in relation to this message. And you might know obviously what, what came up uh, because that word has been... Um, you know, used for a very different purpose. But, you know, I think it's an illustration of where our generation is at. Because we are very confused. We call good evil, and we call evil good. Just as Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, our generation lacks humility, and we have therefore chosen to reject God's ways and rewrite God's word. You know, we no longer want to call sin what it is, even in the church. But God warns us in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18 of the dire consequences of doing this. And it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Now this isn't just talking about Revelation. I believe this is talking about the canon of Scripture. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away the words from the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Because we're living in a generation where many leaders, no doubt, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, used by God in the past, but they have changed, particularly in regards to, to sexuality or in regards to, you know, core uh, issues in God's word, uh, you know, in line with the change we've seen in culture. But, you know, I, I truly believe it is a very terrible thing to do that will have, you know, eternal ramifications or terrible consequences for that 
that person who chooses to say, well, the Word of God doesn't really say that. It says this. No, we need to be, like the Bible says, uh, those who tremble at my Word. We need to tremble and we need to approach God's Word with humility whereby we don't somehow feel a right to rewrite what God's Word says simply because it's politically incorrect or culturally unpalatable in our generation. Truth doesn't change. Truth is eternal. And if it is eternal, we do not have the right to change it just because it might make you unpopular or cause you to lose friends or cause you to be misunderstood or mischaracterized. Truth. Hosea 8 and verse 7. For they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. For what we call progressive, God calls perverted. And yet we act surprised that things are falling apart in our society. You know, we've undermined marriage and the family and gender and truth and morality in so many areas. And then we, then we wonder why terrible things are happening around us. Amen. I, I think it's important. We, we shouldn't act surprised. God is a God of holiness. He's a God of truth, order and design. And we reject his ways and his word at our pearl. God is a God of design. You, you simply look at the human body. You know, there's two designs. You have male, thank you, darling, and you have female. I know I'm, I speak about that a lot, but uh, again, we're living in a generation where there is, you know, a, a move to, 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 to brainwash uh, little children and to brainwash our society into embracing, uh, you know, what is utterly illogical and biologically uh, untrue. So anyway, uh, you know, it says they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. You know, night after night, people feed on a diet of, of murder, betrayal, and brut brutality. You know, all of it under the guise of entertainment. And then we act shocked at the violence that we're seeing in our society. Just last weekend, like I said, the whole nation, you know, was, was in uproar over what happened to that poor young lady uh, in Tullamore. But really, it's an indication of where our society is at. We are looking at murder night after night after night. We're looking at perversion and all these evil things um, that come in the name of, of entertainment. You know, so much of what we, we tune into is, is so coarse. I mean, I was just watching a movie not too long ago. And my wife said, you know, you need to turn that off because there was a few curse words. She said, I'd want to hear the sound of that word in this house. And you know what? I said, you know what, Johnny? You're right. And I had to repent. You know, I mean, as a guy, I like to watch action movies. But I've come to the point where there's literally so little that you can watch because, you know, of, of the language that's in them. And so, again, uh, do, we have to ask ourselves, do we actually believe this? Or are we willing so many times when we sit down with a, a clicker to put aside all of our convictions and, and, and feed on a diet that's prepared by people who, in many instances, hate God and are, are absolutely opposed to everything that God and His words stand for and that we as the church are meant to stand for? Is it okay if I get a little bit real today? I know some of you sit and said... <laughs> Some of you sitting there saying, don't mess with my entertainment. No, listen, a lot of that stuff is of the devil. And you're, you're releasing a spirit into your home. Okay, so let, let, let's, let's approach God's word with, with humility. Okay, God is a God of holiness. 
And so, 2 Chronicles 7.14, I believe we need to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, you know what the problem is? Some of us have been involved in wicked ways, even as Christians for so long. We have become desensitized to what God calls wicked. But he says, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then uh, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I believe that is, a, uh, you, you know, that is a, a very simple equation for us to step into revival. But the problem is, we're waiting for God to do his part, but we haven't done our part. We need to repent. I mean, we need to humble ourselves before God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn of me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Christ has invited us to come. But I think it's very interesting what it says. One of the first things Jesus said about himself is that he is humble in heart and that he wants us to learn from him. Well, the question is, learn what? I believe, among other things, humility. Christ wants us to learn humility because in the world, humility is perceived as weakness. But in the kingdom, it is strength. It's clear Christ wants us to walk in humility. And, and yet, to be quite honest, at times in the body of Christ, it seems to be in very short supply. You know, pastors and ministers looking down on each other because one happens to have a bigger ministry or church than the other. You know, but the fact is this, a pastor in the countryside with 50 people may be more effective than a pastor in the city with 500. It's all relative to where you are. Amen. And so your importance isn't determined by the number of people in your church or by your reputation or by how much wealth you have or, or whatever is going on. Jesus said in Revelation 3 and 1, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I find that to be such a, 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 a sobering uh, Bible verse. I, I think it's terrifying to consider that what may have been a reality in my life in the past may be but a memory today simply because I lacked the humility to continue to seek God in order to have fresh bread from heaven. Amen? Because how many of you know you can have a reputation for something that you no longer walk in? You might have been a great man or woman of prayer in the past and people say about you, oh, he, he, he or she is a great woman of prayer. You're sleeping in like a dog every morning for the last five years. Like Samson, you can have the reputation, but not the reality. And that is very, very sobering. And the reason why is because you lack humility. Let me say this, all laziness is rooted in pride. You know the reason why we used to pray and seek God when we were in trouble and we don't do now? Pride. God bailed us out and we think we can get by by ourselves now. Judges chapter 16 and 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. He made a lot of assumptions about God. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The NIV said, um, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Aramaic Bible uh, in plain English says, 
And he did not know that Jehovah had removed himself from him. Do you know that God can literally remove himself from our lives because of the sin that we insist on indulging? Or because of the direction that we insist on, on pursuing? Or, or, or the, the uh, company that we insist on keeping? You know, it's a very sobering thing that if God is dealing with you about something, you need to deal with it. Don't ignore or harden yourself against the Spirit of God. Surely Samson is an illustration of what happens when we continually resist uh, the, the Spirit of God. We can harden ourselves to the point where we no longer hear His voice or we no longer sense the fact that He has lifted His hand from our lives. You know, pride and arrogance had blinded Samson to what should have been uh, glaringly obvious. He wasn't walking in God's ways, nor was he faithful to God's call. You know, um, uh, again, the woman he was with, Delilah, she clearly was not a God-fearing woman. So he, he wasn't walking in God's ways and he wasn't faithful to the call of God in his life. And the time came when God lifted his hand from his life. He lifted his anointing and he was judged. You know, Daniel 5 and verse 27 says, Many, many tekel you farsen. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know, 11, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If you lack self-awareness, it's because you lack humility. Have you ever been around people who lack self-awareness? You know, in a, in a restaurant, they're just speaking out and being rude to the, to the person serving them. Or in their job, they're just, you know, ignorant. They're just very unself-aware. They go into an environment and they have no sense of, 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 of respect or decorum. You know, if you lack self-awareness, it's because you lack humility. You know, God gives us the opportunity to bring it to the cross. So don't harden yourself against the conviction of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is whispering something in your heart, you need to listen, okay? And, and the conviction not only of His Spirit, but of His Word. That's why it's so important to read this book on a daily basis. Amen? It will speak to you. It will, it will keep you out of hell. It will enable you to avoid the pitfalls and the traps that the devil sets for you. Amen? God will speak to you through His Word. And this is why people who backslide always disappear out of church. You know, if what we do here today was of no spiritual consequence, then why is it the very first thing the devil disconnects you from when you, when you uh, choose to, 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 to go into sin or go down the wrong pathway? So again, let me say this. If you're one of those who decide that you somehow don't need church, you need to repent. Why? Because you've been listening to the voice of the devil. Amen? He is a liar, and it is nothing but pride okay, that tells you that you don't need this. Listen, we need this, and we need each other, okay, as a body. We need each other, and let me say this. You need to have somebody that you call pastor in your life. Psalm 92, verse 13, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the, they will flourish in the courtyards of our God. Uh, the question is, are you planted somewhere? Do you have a church that you call, you, don't be a, a floater. You know, dead things float, okay? Living things move in a direction. You should be planted somewhere. Don't be somebody who I go to this church this week, and another week I go there, and another week I just stay in bed. No, that's not what God wants you to do. Are you planted? And if not, why not? Hebrews 10, 25. But not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and uh, so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
Amen? And so we need each other. And I think these last two years have shown us this, that as the church and as leaders, we need to stand together. Amen? For the purposes of the kingdom. You know, Daniel chapter 5 uh, talks about uh, Belshazzar. And um, it says... Uh, it says, while he tasted wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels from his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that they had taken from the temple of the house of the Lord, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. This man did not fear God. And he did not treat the things of God with respect and honor. And therefore, you know, judgment came upon his life. In that hour, the fingers of man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw it um, and the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and the thought... Um, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hip or, hips were loosened, and his knees knocked together against each other. And um, so, again, God wrote on the wall, and that's where we get the phrase, the handwriting on the wall. And I would say the handwriting is on the wall for Western society, because we have forsaken God, we have forsaken truth, and we've embraced all sorts of sin and perversion and immorality. And we've sought to codify and normalize what God calls sin. The handwriting is on the wall. We will either repent and see revival or we will see terrible judgment. You know, the final days of, of whether the Grecian or the Roman Empire were characterized by hedonism and excess and sin and perversion. Where is the Roman Empire today? Where is the Grecian Empire? Any other empires that went before? They're gone. You know, the Western world will be no different. Doesn't matter, you know, our technology, our sophistication, our wealth. It is nothing. God clicks his fingers and this whole thing will be wiped out. That's why we need to pray and we need to repent. I understand this probably isn't a touchy-feely, huggy message. You're great, I'm great, God is great. No, God is great, but we need to repent. Because we are on borrowed time, people. We are on borrowed time. We have a generation that is going to hell. I'm not angry at them. I believe we need to repent. We need to repent and pray. The handwriting was on the wall. And it said, many, many tekel you farsen. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And, and that man who in that moment had such power, such wealth, uh, you know, uh, God spoke and said, your kingdom ends tonight. And that very night that man died and his kingdom was conquered. So again, I believe there's a message for our society in that. Because the truth is this, we are all being weighed in the divine scales. And if you aren't a humble man or woman of God, it doesn't matter how called or how talented or how accomplished or celebrated you are, the God who searches our hearts will know it. And he will just know you from afar. That is why some people have a special touch of God in their lives and there are other people who are just as talented or even more so. And yet they just seem to go from, from one unmitigated disaster to another. That's what I love about Philip. He's a man of prayer. 
He doesn't, he doesn't broadcast it every, every, every week. He's out there praying with people and ministering to people and, and loving on people and, and touching them. You know, even in, in shopping centers, he's out there sometimes and God will speak to him. He'll go and he'll pay for the food of somebody behind him or he'll go over and he'll, he'll, he'll just pray with somebody right there in, in Tesco or wherever he's going. The touch of God is on humble people. But there are some people, like I said, who feel qualified and they wonder why God never uses them. God will only know you from afar. Psalm 136 and verse 6. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. So if you are proud and arrogant, God will keep his distance from you. You might be the most intelligent person, the most qualified person, the most educated person, but God will just pass you over and use somebody else who is humble. I don't know about you, I don't want God to know me from a distance. I want to know God face to face. You see, intimacy with God is reserved for the truly humble. Because God sees our heart. He sees through our motives and our agendas. And He is not impressed by our outward uh, displays of, of piety or our holiness. Because He looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by the appearance or height, for I've rejected them. The Lord doesn't see the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Are you still hungry? Are you still holy? And are you still humble? Because we can lose any one of those things so quickly. Amen. We can step into pride so quickly. Because as I said, intimacy with God is reserved for the truly humble. And that's why I so admire Moses. Because in spite of all that he saw and accomplished, think about it. He was divinely called and empowered by God. You know, signs and wonders in, in Egypt. The, the, the Red Sea split. Pharaoh defeated. Face-to-face -face encounters with God. Divine provision and protection for 40 years um, in the wilderness. And yet, it didn't change him. And, 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 and yet I've seen men who have a hundred people in their church who, who act proud and, and arrogantly. I, I, I was shocked hearing the story about somebody who said that, uh, you know, he saw a pastor beating a woman who hadn't given her, her, her tithes. I, I don't get that, you know, but I, I, I don't believe that's a person that's called. Uh, but you know what? You see people get... Uh, you know, this, this thing of, I have more people in my church, therefore I'm, I'm, I can't talk to you because you're like a lightweight and I'm a heavyweight. And I, I think it appalls God. I really believe it, it grieves the Spirit of God when we look down on each other. And yet Moses had a congregation numbering in millions. He had millions of people in his congregation. And yet the Bible says, Numbers 12, 3. For Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Should we be so surprised that Moses had these face-to-face -face encounters with God? These, these encounters we all long for, or at least we should long for. But the Bible says in Exodus 33 and verse 7, it's probably my most favorite chapter in the Bible, but it says, um, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle meeting, which was outside the camp. You know, it wasn't convenient. You know, revival will not be convenient. If we want to see God move in our generation, we're going to have to sacrifice. 
you know, our time, our talent, our ability, our finance, we're going to have to pay the price. Thank you for that one amen. See, nobody wants to pay the price. You know. We want revival, but I want to be out here by one o'clock so I can go eat KFC. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, a pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked at Moses. And the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. How many of you want that in your life? Amen. I believe God wants to give us those face to face encounters. Andrew Murray. Wonderful South African author. Um, Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. You see, for God to come in, there has to be a displacement. Amen? So, again, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Who sits on the throne of your life? You see, humility is only possible as we die to self and put God first. Amen? Again, Andrew Murray. There is nothing so natural to man, nothing so insidious and hidden from our sight, nothing so difficult and dangerous as pride. Again, Andrew Murray, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. This is why Christ-likeness must be our goal. Christ-likeness. Amen? Uh, Harold Warner, humility is the gateway into the grace and the favor of God. You see, humility will open doors for you that you never even knocked on. Humility will open doors for you you didn't even see or recognize. But God will open them for you anyway. Amen? And you see why? Because His favor will go before you. Amen? His favor will go before you. And, and, and doors will open for you that other people are banging on and kicking on. And that those doors don't open for them. Why? Humility will make a way for you. Psalm 5 and verse 12, for you, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround them as with a shield. You see, God's favor is reserved for the humble. That's why some people never experience breakthrough. I'll tell you why. You're proud and you think you've earned it. You think you deserve it. You think you are worthy. None of us earn anything from God. On our best day, we do not make God's standard. We do not meet the standard. It is all by God's grace. Humility makes a way for us. Luke 9 and verse 43, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveled at what Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand uh, beside them. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever uh, welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. You see, it's easy to, to criticize the disciples because they were clearly far from perfect. At times they were proud and ambitious and arrogant and selfish, a bit like us. You know, Christ here reveals the deepest burden of his heart, talking about how he is going to 
The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Uh, you know, he, he reveals this burden and uh, as he draws close to the cross and they completely miss it. Why? Because the very next sentence, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. But you know, the, 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 I think the sad thing is the passage of 2,000 years reveals the fact that really things haven't improved at all because it's abundantly clear that we haven't learned from their mistakes. When you see pastors and churches, you know, competing with each other rather than cooperating with each other. You know, one church launching Scud missiles against the other. Completely oblivious to the fact we're not competing, you know, with other churches. This church isn't competing with any church. We're competing with the whorehouse. We're competing with Paddy Powers. We're competing with the alcohol dispensers and the bars and then all the other things that are out there trying to destroy people's lives. Amen. Come on. Let's, let's pray for each other. But when we see this... Amen. But, but pastors, like I said, in churches competing with, rather than praying for each other. Okay? Each eagerly claiming to be God's anointed ministry and God's anointed man and, and woman of the hour. To be honest, as a pastor, when I look at the ministry, I see ambition, exaggeration. How many of you know 10 people get saved by a week? It's like 2,000. You know, exaggeration and ambition. Soulish control and manipulation of people at times. You know, I remember one pastor in this city, he used to call people out on a Sunday if they hadn't paid their tithes. <laughs> Jesus. You know, that is abuse. And, and you know, much of it, I believe, stems from insecurity and fear rather than humility and kingdom thinking. You know, I had one pastor got a young man, a young man from our church here. He, he, he went to the friend to the church. The pastor took him aside and for about an hour, he knew he was going to this church. He said, you're not growing in that church. You need to come to my church and, and I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you and you're going to be this and that and the other. You know, that is dishonorable. It's, it's wrong. I've never asked one person, leave your church and come here. I've asked a lot of people on the street, come to church. Okay, unsaved people, but you know, I, I, too many times it's like the church is trying to, you know, take people out of one church and bring them here, and uh, that's not how the church is designed to grow. Jesus said, "Go preach good news and go win the lost to, to Him." He said, "Amen." Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, so anyway, uh, has anyone ever been hands up? Anyone who's ever been part of a church that sought to control and manipulate rather than empower? I put my hands up right there. I'm not trying to be critical or negative, okay? But the truth is this. Many churches split or slowly suffocate and die because of selfishness, strife, division, and contention. And much of it is rooted in nothing other than ego, pride, and self-promotion. But Timothy walked in a very different spirit. Philippians 2 verse 19 says, If the Lord is winning, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. That he may cheer you up by Here Paul is writing this from jail. Can you see that Paul wasn't focused on Paul? He wasn't sending a letter saying, you know, you need to send in some money so I can bribe somebody to get out of this place. Or you need to pray for me because I'm so lonely in here. He was in a stinking Roman jail and he's thinking about the people. That is the heart of a shepherd. He said, he's going to come in and cheer you up. <laughs> He said, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. 
All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Paul here is talking about those who are in ministry. I think that's sad. Let me read it again. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Do you care about what matters to Jesus Christ? Because what matters to Jesus is people. That's what matters to Jesus. People. For God so loved the world. I remember reading a book one time. There's a wonderful uh, line in it. And he said, you can use uh, your ministry to build people. Or you can use people to build your ministry. Which is it? I thought it was such a powerful statement. Do you care about what matters to Jesus Christ? Because the moment we lose sight of the fact that what matters to God is people, God will take his hands off our lives, off our ministry, you know, because the ministry of Jesus was focused on ministering to the needs of people along with glorifying God. You see, Jesus didn't boast about the great works and miracles that God was doing through him. You know, sometimes he would minister to people and he would tell them not to tell anybody else about what he had done. Amen? And so, again, Jesus was focused on ministering to the needs of people practically. He didn't care about getting the credit. He didn't care about whether people saw what he had done. Why? Because he genuinely loved people. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to finish the, the, the message today, but we'll, we'll finish it next week after Pastor Lee comes. Because I think it's worth taking a second week to just reflect on humility. Because I believe this is a core principle of God's kingdom. And I believe this is one of the reasons why we haven't seen revival. This is one of the reasons why some of you haven't seen breakthrough. So Mark chapter 1, um, uh, going to be our final verse, uh, our final uh, passage. Mark chapter 1. And... Um, Verse 29, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her up by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You cannot disconnect the ministry of Jesus from healing. Healing was a core part of what Jesus did. And I believe we're going to see a move of God's spirit in healing in our generation. And let me say this, after two years where, you know, uh, hospitals have effectively been shut to anybody unless they had COVID, I I believe we're going to need a move of healing among our generation. You know, just last week I was talking to somebody, a sister died, you know, cancer that wasn't diagnosed. There's a whole lot of diseases that haven't been diagnosed as a consequence of the hospitals being shut and as a consequence of the... You know, the, the, in my opinion, what was an irrational uh, reaction because it, it wasn't the only thing that people die of. I know people died of COVID and it's terrible, but the reality is there's a whole lot of other things out there as well that haven't been either treated or haven't even been diagnosed. And so we're going to need to see 
a, a, you know, a healing revival, a move of God's spirit in, in healing. And I don't know about you, I want to see the miracles that, that we saw in the gospels because Jesus hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. And I believe if we will press in, we will see those signs and wonders and miracles that we saw, you know, in, in the gospels. And so, Anyway, Jesus ministered practically to the... Isn't that beautiful that Jesus didn't just talk about heaven? He didn't just talk about you're bad and you need to repent. You know, he ministered to the physical needs of people because he loves them and he hasn't changed. He, he still cares about people and he cares about you no matter what your problems are today. The Lord loves you and I, I believe if you will, you know, stretch your faith today, he's going to touch you at the point of your need because Jesus is a healer. He is a lover. He is a forgiver. He is a guide. He is a shepherd. He is a deliverer. Amen. He is the lover of your soul. There is nobody like Jesus. Could somebody say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. How many of you can say, Jesus is Lord of my life? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You see, there is hope in this message. There is hope in this message that in, in spite of where we fail or fall, we have a Savior who loves us. The Bible says we have not a Savior who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. No matter what you're going through today, the Lord understands you. He sees you. He knows everything about you. Amen. I tell you, we, we serve a healing God. You know, last Sunday, I tell you, the devil is a liar. We were rushing out of the stadium because there was boxing on and, you know, my, I had a thousand things in my mind and, and uh, I was leaving. Ewan got into the car and, and I took off and suddenly I heard him scream out. Uh, he hadn't got his leg in the car fully and I, I, I rolled on top of his foot. Oh my Jesus, I tell you, I thought my heart was going to stop. And uh, he, he was on the ground. I put him on the ground. He was in terrible pain. And, uh, you know, we, we, I was just silently praying. I was crying out to God, Lord. Because, you know, I knew that I could have completely crushed his foot and it could be he could left with a limp for the rest of his life. Or, and uh, thankfully there was a, an ambulance here because uh, there was boxing on and, um, you know, the, some of the boxing guys came over to help. You know, I'll tell you something, they're good people. You know, I know, I know some of them were rough around the edges, but they, they, got, they got big hearts. And there, was, there was one guy from Cork, and he, he put his bag under Ewan's head, and he was telling Ewan, you need to keep breathing. And, you know, it was just really, they, they, they showed tremendous kindness to us. And um, we got Ewan, uh, they got him some painkillers and got him on the ambulance, took him to St. James's. You know, this was after what had been a beautiful service. We really felt the presence of God. And, you know, just the devil comes in. He comes in to, he's a destroyer. And I know he, he's not happy about what God is doing right now. You know, this morning, my, 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 my son was getting into the shower and the shower door exploded. The glass shower door just exploded all around him. He's, he was, oh God, it just out of, you know, the, the devil is, is, he's not happy, but I, I believe God is moving. We're going to see revival. But you know, we, we took him to James's and uh, they, they x-rayed his foot. And you know what? It was a miracle. There wasn't any break and there wasn't any fracture. <laughs> and I warned him this morning. I said, you're only allowed to take one crutch. You're not allowed to take two. I don't want you walking, walking around like some guy after World War II, you know. I, I don't want you making me look bad, but uh, I, I was only messing. He's, he's, a, he's a great kid, and I'm so proud of him, you know. Bless you, kiddo. He showed tremendous courage last Sunday, you know, he didn't cry and he, he didn't curse and he didn't, say, he didn't say a harsh word to me, you know, I was, it was my fault, you know, I, I was in a rush and, 
And, uh, but you know, God is gracious and uh, hallelujah, he's walking around and I uh, give God the glory, amen. So anyway, we're believing to see uh, God, God moving in our generation. But this is what I love, it says the whole city was gathered at the door. And you know, it doesn't say there was just sickness, it said those people who are demon possessed. You know those same demons around the earth today? Those same demons are tormenting people. You know, demons whispering in young people's ears, telling them to commit suicide or to overdose, or you know, whispering in, in men's ears to be unfaithful to their wife or their, to the woman to be unfaithful to their husband. You know, you know whispering into, into people you know, to do drugs or do all sorts of stupid things. Those demons are still there doing what the devil does, robbing, stealing, and destroying. But you know what? The Bible says there is a name. At that name, at that name, demons flee. At that name, hell shakes. At that name, chains are broken and burdens are lifted. Hallelujah. And so it says, uh, then many who were sick with various diseases and had many demons and did not, he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed his solitary place and there he prayed. I know this. So many times after a service, Physically, you're just exhausted, you know, and, and sometimes the afternoon, I just go for sleep. I can't imagine what, how busy, you know, Jesus' schedule was, because it says the whole city was at the door. All day, he was ministering to people, and yet, in spite of how tired he was, the Bible says the next day, he rose up early. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lion this morning and, and just get some rest. It says he rose early. You know why? Jesus was humble. He was our example of humility. Even Jesus sought the face of God. And I'm telling you something, nothing will, will change your life more than just rising in the morning and spending time with God. But you won't do that if you're humble, if you're not humble. Because you can, you can think, some of you who don't pray a lot, it's because you're proud. You think you can get by life, you can get through life without God's help. No, we need to humble ourselves and pray. It says he rose a long time before daylight, went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And it says uh, the disciples came for him. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, said, they said, everyone is looking for you. But he said, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I've come forth. And he was preaching their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. So Jesus, you know, he wasn't interested in, in the fact that everybody was looking for him. He said, I, I, I want to go to the others. I've got good news to bring. I want to bring deliverance and healing to those who have never heard before. And this is the heart of God. And, and, and this is what must drive us in, in, in this season as the worship group come forward. And uh, if you could stand to your feet, you know, let's humble ourselves. Um, I really believe God is going to do great things in this generation. He will do great things in our lives if we will only listen, if we will only humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen. Because God is a good God and he loves us. But we must play our part. We must humble ourselves. We must drop our boasting. We must drop uh, this competition that, that, that so many times exists uh, between those in the ministry. You know, we must, we must repent of the pride of our heart that causes us to look down uh, at anybody. You know, the book of Isaiah says, those who look down their noses at others 
It says they're like a burning in my nostrils. Uh, those who say, yeah, I'm too holy for you. No, we need to humble ourselves and recognize without Jesus, we are nothing. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. You know, and so when you look at somebody that's broken, somebody that's addicted, somebody that's in sin, somebody that's involved in all sorts of shameful things, you need to remind yourselves, there but for the grace of God go I. But for God's grace, where would any of us be today? Amen.